And what we're talking about in this paper, the public trust in science, is very much this idea of institutional trust. Do people feel that they can depend on science and scientists, especially as it relates to involvement in things like public policy? Do they feel like science and scientists have their interests in mind when they're getting involved in public policy? Science and trust are on topic with IU. My name is Kenny Smith with the Media School at Indiana University Bloomington, and I'm speaking with Tessa Benson Greenwald, a doctoral candidate studying social psychology in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at Indiana University. Tessa, thank you for joining us today. Excited to be here, Kenny. I'm just excited whenever I get to say the term brain sciences. It sounds like I'm a part of a sophisticated group that knows what they're talking about. You have a new paper in the journal Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. And it's titled, if I may, Science for Others or the Self, Presumed Motives for Science Shape Public Trust in Science. Right from the beginning of this paper, it was very intriguing just reading the little blurb that I saw at the beginning. And then I read the abstract and I started reading the paper. This is very interesting to me. But right at the beginning, you start with this general observation, you and your co-authors, that trust in science is at risk. So before we get into the paper itself, Tessa, I was wondering... What's the general motivation that you and your co-authors had in in just in exploring this area from the beginning? So we started thinking about the questions involved in this project around winter 2016, spring of 2017. And what happened was there were lots of conversations going around that, you know, we were having with our family or friends or, you know, even just public discourse. There was an election going on, right? Um, where people were skeptical of many aspects of science, right? There's been a fair amount of conversation surrounding climate change and how the science can't or shouldn't be trusted or with politicians arguing that these scientists are really driven by financial incentives. And so that's a reason that you can't, scientists can't be trusted either. Um, And then we were also starting to see people in the scientific community doing some interesting organizing. So we were hearing about the movement of scientists and science advocates teaming up for the March for Science to try and combat policy proposals that were aiming to cut funding for research uh, and restrict data availability. And then there were also policies working to kind of remove some of those environmental protections um, and stuff targeting uh, the stop of climate change. And so there was just a lot of that conversation going on around trusting science and trusting scientific findings and scientists themselves. And one of the things a lot of the research in our lab and others looks at is how there's this sort of common belief in the U.S. that scientists are pretty self-focused, right? Tending to really only work by themselves in a lab, all isolated for hours at a time, really looking for status and recognition. Um, I sort of jokingly talk about the mad scientist, uh, you know, belief. And so in our other work, when we look at those beliefs that people have about science, we find that holding those beliefs can really lead people to not be interested in pursuing a science major or a career in science. Um, And so given this conversation and the work we had going on in our lab, we were wondering if this sort of common image of this power-hungry scientist who seems to not really interact with others um, might be contributing to some of the distrust among the public toward uh, science as an institution. And then, of course, it's been really interesting as we've moved through, right, to hear these conversations that got into this research sort of 
echoed in the past few years that we as, as we've experienced the pandemic and whether people trust the science and findings related to COVID-19 and with precautions about what works and doesn't work with regards to stopping the spread. So there's a lot of timely and topical interest areas here, a lot of timely topical themes in this, what I presume is now a growing area of research. So the type of work is fascinating because we all have our own understanding of the term, the concept of trust. But since I'm talking with you, someone steeped in psychology, I get to ask if there's a different, perhaps more nuanced definition that you would use beyond the common kitchen table lay definitions of this theme, this word trust a lot in common between how people typically think about or talk about trust and how psychologists tend to think about and talk about trust. So I think when, if you ask somebody whether they trust somebody, right, they're really, they're typically thinking about trust in the context of relationships with one other person or maybe a couple of other people. Do I think this person is being honest with me or telling the truth? Will they keep my secrets in confidence? And what are their intentions toward me? And when we as psychologists think about trust in relationships, it's very similar, but it's it, we kind of talk about it as this idea of being willing and able to expect positive outcomes when interacting with others. So really, it's those ideas of, are they being honest or will this person keep my secrets? They're still very much in line with how we think about um, relationship trust in psychology, because trusting someone would mean that the answer is positive for both of those questions. But then we also have this idea that I think is less so thought about um, when people are, are talking about trust, uh, which is trust in institutions. And it's still very similar in that it's still focused on this positive expectation piece, but it's broader than that because it's more of whether this institution has in intentions that align with my own and interests, uh, intentions and interests are what I need. And I think it's tricky because institutions are obviously comprised of people. Uh, so there's still that person component, but there's also actions that institutions can take, such as, you know, enacting policies or the structures that are in place that play a role in institutional trust. And what we're talking about in this paper, the public trust in science, is very much this idea of institutional trust. Do people feel that they can depend on science and scientists, especially as it relates to involvement in things like public policy? Do they feel like science and scientists have their interests in mind when they're getting involved in public policy? And baked into that, I presume, is this this thing you're talking about in the paper here, presumed motives. That's in the research, in the paper, rather. This would be, I think, my presumed motives, what I think the motives of a scientist or a, a, a cadre of scientists might be. Do I have that right? Yeah. So in the paper, we talk about this idea of motivational culture, which really just boils down to what goals do people think scientists value and what goals do they think science careers really allow you to perceive? Um, so coming back back to those common beliefs about scientists and science careers, right? It's that, that in the U.S., scientists tend, uh, there's this belief that scientists tend to be more self-focused, valuing independence, pursuing status or power, and not so much other focused, valuing helping others and pursuing aims to help society. So we were just really interested in how these conclusions or inferences that people are making, um, how they shape what whether the public trusts science. You mentioned twice now the, the concept of, a, of a, I guess, a, a power-hungry scientist, if I can use a term in a little bit more crudely perhaps than you would in a paper. I'm, I'm curious, where does that sort of thing come from? I, and you see that in 
you see that in our contemporary times, people would, would say this about this agency or the person at the helm of that group. I know no scientists that have power. I know scientists who do research. So, so is, is it a media thing? Because I can think of a lot of movies where there's a boogeyman. Or is it a, a social media construct of a, of a conspiracy theory boogeyman? Do we, do we have any sense at all? Again, a little bit beyond the scope of this paper, but where does this come from, the power-hungry scientist conceit? These beliefs come from the same places that a lot of our other misconceptions and beliefs are stereotypes, if you will, about other groups come from, right? Most people, right, don't have a lot of direct experience with scientists and science themselves, right? They maybe took a science course in high school or they, if they went to college, they had a science course they had to take there, um, but not a whole lot of direct contact with scientists themselves. So they have to learn about science and this role sort of more indirectly and that does come from things like movies tv shows books those kinds of things and so if the image that's portrayed there is this sort of immoral power hungry kind of scientist that's going to shape kind of how you think scientists might go about their day so one of those elements is that I once watched Young Frankenstein and saw Gene Wilder being brilliant in that role, and and this has helped perhaps create some, if not all, but some of my skepticism, well-placed or otherwise. Is, is that what we're thinking here? Yeah. It also probably has helped develop your sense of humor. I love Young Frankenstein. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just watched it again the other day. This is very general as a question, I know, but do we have a sense of what sorts of other external factors are commonly applied? I mean, you're talking essentially about exposure, but is it education? Is it the inherent belief systems that I've been indoctrinated with that I've brought with me? Are there other motivations too? Yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking, right, we, we as people just, we have our own goals and motives and passions. And when you get down to it, we really aim to right, surround ourselves with people um, that at the very least will not like actively stop us from achieving our goals. And if they can support us and help us as we achieve those goals, then that's even better. And so I think the same is true with whether people decide to put their trust in institutions or not, right? People will draw conclusions about what scientists are trying to achieve and use that as information to determine whether science and scientists as an institution are out to stop them from living their lives and pursuing whatever goals they value or whether science can actually help us to achieve our goals by making it easier. And it's easy to say in a contemporary sense that the problem and the answer are politics. I'm sure that's a terrible catch-all from your perspective, but it's easy to put that label on things at this point politics is certainly involved right it's easy to see that certain political stances might have certain motives at play in terms of talking about the role of science and scientists right if we're talking about climate change maybe it gets really difficult to point out that the science isn't so is, is a bit wonky, but we can talk about how scientists themselves are really money hungry, right? And so don't trust those people, they're money hungry. And you can use that to sort of steer the agenda in terms of what you're talking about. Um, and I think that plays a role too. So we come to the idea of trust as holding a positive outcome. That was part of your definition that you shared with us. <laughs> Why do we think this varies over time? At, at least it seems to me perhaps that it might vary anyway. At different points, we've culturally been able to uh, place more faith in science and the people practicing it, but at other times. What is, what's driving that capacity for change? 
some of it, so obviously this is outside of the scope of the paper a little Mm -hmm. bit, so this is conjecture, but I think some of it just has to do with the ebb and flow of whether science is like prominently visible or not. Um, So if you think about times in history that um, these conversations about science and scientists and trusting science have really become popular, it's when it's been at moments where science has become really visible, right? So things like the moon landing and Sputnik and those kinds of things. And then, you know, even more recently, um, right, vaccinations and development of treatments for COVID-19. I think what happens is when science comes into the forefront of people's sort of uh, consciousness, right, when it's made really visible, there's a lot of uncertainty with the scientific process. We're, we're kind of operating on the edge of the known versus unknown. We're trying to understand something that we don't understand or sometimes change our understanding of things we thought we understood. And there's a lot of uncertainty and kind of scariness with that. And I think that's where that, when that distrust kind of has the ability to ebb and flow a little bit, right? Things are uncertain. And if, if you are not, super aware of the motives of scientists or you have these different beliefs about the motives of scientists and that's going to kind of shape whether you can trust the scientists to do um to find answers to those uncertainties to resolve that sort of anxiety associated with the unknown or whether you think they're going to do something that's kind of out for themselves and that kind of thing Sometimes there's a source or a channel in between the scientist and the general population, too. We have to consider all of the same things there, the motivations, Mm -hmm. whether they've got it right, and so on and so forth. You mentioned the paper and the process. Let's talk about that a little bit. Talk about your process on this paper. You looked at five different data sets for the paper that brings us here together. In a simple way, break down what you're doing and what you're learning here. So in the first couple of studies for the paper, we just wanted to ask whether there really was some sort of relationship between these beliefs about the values of science and public trust in science, and then how those might be aligned. Um, So in the first study, we used what we call archival data, which is just data that was collected by somebody else uh, from the General Social Survey, which is a national survey conducted by the National Opinion Research Center, or NORC. Uh, And they conduct these extensive interviews with respondents. I think it's about 1,700 respondents every two years. And this is really a cool opportunity because it's such a large group of respondents uh, that's representative of the United States population. Um, And so it gave us an opportunity to begin our explanation of this question without using up too many resources in terms of finances or participant pool and those kinds of things. And we found evidence there that perceiving scientists as pro-social was associated then with trusting science more. In our second study, we wanted to look at these relationships again, this time using measures that we selected, which gave us the ability to look at how perceiving scientists as self-focused, so independent and status-oriented, was then associated with this public trust. And so these first studies were informative and really interesting, but we really wanted to be able to say something about whether moving around these beliefs about the motives and activities of scientists would affect public trust uh, rather than simply being related to it. 
so we ran three experimental studies. And in these studies, we used written blurbs to highlight specific aspects of scientists' careers and values. So the third study in the paper, we described the activities and motives of scientists in different ways. Participants either read about a scientist who talked a lot about collaborating with other people on their science, or a scientist who talked about working alone to conduct their science. So we're interested in whether highlighting these different aspects of scientists and their roles makes a difference in the types of activities that they think science, science careers involve generally and public trust in science. And we found that emphasizing that collaborative element of science compared to that independent element of science caused people to view science as having more opportunities for those other oriented activities and that those beliefs about opportunities tended to be related to more public trust in science too. And then finally, in the last two studies of the paper, we shifted around a few things. So first, we, we had people read about two sub-disciplines of science, chemical engineering and physics, rather than just a single scientist like they did in that third study I just talked about. Uh, second, we described the other-oriented sub-discipline as focusing on benefiting others in the world rather than that collaborative piece that we used in the third study. And the self-oriented subdiscipline as focusing on attaining power and status rather than that independence piece we focused on in the third study. And people actually in this study read about both disciplines. So we gave them an ostensible news alert that described the goals of chemical engineers and physicists. And one of those subdisciplines was described as seeking to better society, and the other was uh, described as seeking power. And there we again found that people trusted the pro-social subdiscipline, regardless of whether it was chemical engineering or physics, more than they trusted the power-seeking subdiscipline. And that this even had implications for funding priorities. So people viewed the discipline that was described as seeking to better society as a higher funding priority. So some of that comes down to um, just, I guess, I think what you're saying there is exposure and how exposure fits into trust. That. Uh, let me use what, what you would consider, I'm sure, a, a classic psychological construct, walking a mile in another person's shoes, right? If the research, if the communication, dissemination of that research isn't something that's available to me, it can be mysterious, and then who knows what I could pile on. And so that's looking at part of what you're looking at there, and just in terms of the awareness of your respondents and what their awareness supplies in terms of their answers in, in terms of to your queries. Is that right? If we think back to your earlier question, right, about where do these beliefs come from? And I, you know, I mentioned the idea that a lot of us don't have a lot of direct contact with scientists. But if what this, I think this paper highlights is that the more that scientists can kind of get involved in the conversation or people who are covering science news, for example, like your podcast, right? can be involved in highlighting those pro-social and collaborative aspects of science to the public, the more the public will trust science and we can kind of disrupt some of those challenging stereotypes and lay the foundation for more public trust. But to the extent that those findings or that research and the even more importantly, I think the goals of that research are kept away from the public, that it's kept a mystery or that people aren't sure what's going on with it. Then I think that that sort of problematic belief that this is that these power seeking uh, scientists is going to kind of rule the world or not rule the world, but like it's kind of 
take over in the cognition and make people a little bit less likely to trust scientists. And therein lies what even my simple and humble mass communication specialty would describe as framing, how the work or how the construct, how the profession pursuit of science even is is represented and presented to us as an audience, how that's framed impacts us as well. And then there's also some agency in there, I'm, I'm assuming, based on what you're talking about in the paper. Yeah, I mean, so we talk about agency as like different types, uh, as a particular type of goal. So um, you've hear, heard me talk a lot about self-focused goals. And so, you know, I, I talked when I was going through the studies about, you know, these different components of agency. So we have independence, um, the ability to sort of be autonomous and bring about the outcomes that you want to bring about. And then we also have this sort of power-seeking, dominance type of agency. Um, some of the literature looks at other another type of agency, which we kind of talk about as like achievement or competence and those kinds of things. And so we tried to tease apart a little bit of this. Um, it seems like the power seeking was doing a little bit more of the work here than the independence seeking type of agency in the paper. But overall, you know, it, it really seems to be the case that highlighting that those other focus types, whether it's the collaborative or the pro-social piece, um, really benefits public trust. And when you're talking about motivation and, and funding priorities as, as, a, as a function of all this, I would say perhaps the same thing. We don't really know as lay people exactly how many bags of money you're sitting on in your lab to do the kind of work that you're doing. But we tend to think that that is part of the motivation too, right? If they write this paper, they're going to, of course, find this result. But is that really the reality? No, the reality is that we want to do the research regardless. And if we could do the research for free, we would happily <laughs> do that. Um, unfortunately, right, we, we live in a world where money is an important thing. And so usually we're, we're trying to do the research. Uh, we need the money so that we can do the research. Um, and in fact, a really important component of most publication processes is declaring any sorts of conflict of interest. Typically funding, I mean, it depends on where the funding is coming from, right? So National Science Foundation is a very common funding source, NIH, those kinds of places. Those aren't things that you typically, you have to declare that they are a funding source, but people don't usually declare them as conflicts of interest. It'd be like, you know, if I'm working for a particular company and I'm doing research that has to do with that company, that's more along the lines of a conflict of interest. And if you work in a college campus, then even fewer because you're not funded by some, generally funded yeah. by some external, large, multinational conglomerate sort of thing. What is the big takeaway from a paper like this? If we were standing around at a cocktail party or something like that and you'd been telling me about this, what's the thing you'd really like me to go away understanding about the research that you're doing here, the trust in science? Where does my head need to be at? It's certainly understandable, right, that there's a lot of uncertainty involved with science and that this can be a, a core component of where people aren't sure whether they can trust or trust scientists. But I think that the big takeaway is that the beliefs that the public has about what science aims to do and what scientists value can have a really big impact on whether people trust science. And this is exciting because not only does it point to the problem 
that viewing scientists as these self-focused people can diminish the trust of the public, but it also highlights a path forward, a strategy for building trust. And that is that when scientists highlight the aspects that really make for excellent science, collaboration and research that serves the greater good, they can help build a stronger foundation of public trust. Now, how would you and your scientific peers, and no matter the discipline, how do you really set out to go and achieve that? Well, there's lots of discussion about this uh, that's been going on for a few years now. There's um, a couple of different outlets that uh, are really aimed at take, at having scientists talk about their work for a broader audience. Um, and one of the things that's a really important component of those types of outlets is focusing on the, you know, we kind of call it the so what, the why should the public care, right? And that's a that's actually a core component of most grant applications too, by the way, when you're applying for those grants, the grant people want to know the so what too. Um, and it's just, you know, when you're, when you're working on sort of these more public facing media formats to communicate about your knowledge, it's making sure that you've explained that in a way that make sense um, and really made sure that you focus more on the why should people care about this than the what did we do and all of the nitty gritty of the theories and those kinds of things. And finally, we like to send people away on a note of optimism here. So as a scientist in this area of research, trust in science, what uh, is something that you're optimistic about going forward here? First of all, you, you've seen a lot of visibility of the sort of pro-social aspects of science in the past couple of years, right? Dr. Fauci has become like a huge figurehead in so many households um, and, you know, talking about really trying to help people get back to a normal that existed before the pandemic. You've got a lot of scientists who are doing this work to get their work out into the public uh, so that they understand the science that's going on and they understand why it's important for the public to know about. And to me, given this research, that gives me some optimism that, you know, we are working to do the things that seem like they can increase the trust of the public in science and scientists. Tessa Benson Greenwald is pursuing her doctorate in social psychology at Indiana University, and that's a busy schedule indeed. So, Tessa, thank you for taking the time to visit with us today. Thank you. And we thank you for joining us as well. For more information, follow us on social media. On Topic with IU is on Facebook and Twitter. You can subscribe and download this podcast from services like SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Just search On Topic with IU on your favorite podcast provider. From Bloomington, Indiana, for On Topic with IU, I'm Kenny Smith.